Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. This is a podcast from Minute Media. Buck Showalter is immediately out. We talked about how this was a really tense game yesterday. And both dugouts are out there on the field. Dugouts have cleared. Bullpens are coming out now. Three Mets hit by a pitch yesterday against the Nationals. It sounded like Buck and Dave had cleared the air. They know that they're trying to find a grip on these new baseballs, and it's just really tough. But you've got a star like Lindor. You're trying to see him have a turnaround year with this club that he has signed such a big contract with. Important to note, though, that was scary to see Lindor go down, but he is up, he is walking around, he's staying on the perimeter of that scrum. I got hit, I was on the ground, I hear scuffles, I look up, my whole entire team is out there. Um, my, the whole entire coaching staff is out there, from anywhere, anybody from Buck, Eric, Chavez, Cano, P, everybody there, I continue to see the bullpen sprinting in, that, that says a lot, I'm super proud to be a New York man. Um, and to be with this group of guys there, I respect them a lot. I admire them, and I'm glad I'm sharing the field with them every day. I don't care who you are. I'm coming after you. I mean, I faced Otani a lot. I faced Trout a lot. Um, I I don't care the name on the back of your jersey. I'm coming. Um, that's been my mentality no matter who I face. Um, I know he's probably the best hitter in the world. But Give me a minute. I don't, I don't care. I'm just recording it. What, what have you thought of the way this team's performed? I guess this you know, lineup, the diversity of the hitters, the pitching staff, just overall, it's curious. That is more you got yeah, to I mean, the, the payroll is one thing. You obviously expect a lot of talent, but, I mean, I mean, we got two guys with completely busted mouths already two games in, and they're in the lineup the next day. Um, to be on a team that wants to grind as hard as this team, Good luck. 
Um, there's a lot of guys, a lot of teams that it's all or nothing, and this team is not that. Um, we might be able to hit some homers. We're just going to grind you until you break. And that's the mentality we've been preaching since day one. Um, we had the pitching staff to hold it down until that happens. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's exciting. It's another edition of the Talking Mets podcast here on this Sunday, April the 10th, 2022. Of course, I'm your host, Mike Silva. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can show an Apple podcast, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com, and I want to welcome in the good folks over at the Fansided Podcasting Network and RisingApple.com. Welcome into another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. Three shows in the matter of seven days. It's rare that we get to do that, but look, there's been a ton to talk about. The season has arrived. Just a few days ago, myself and Mark Healy of Gotham Baseball did a season preview. And we got right into it with a four-game series of the Nationals that was filled with just about everything that you could want. It was filled with some close games. It was filled with fireworks, second-guessing of the manager, got to see a lot of the bullpen, got to see good things about the offense, got to see some things that maybe we should look at with the offense. You just couldn't ask for more in a four-game set. And the Mets pretty much did chalk here where you you always know that you want to win every series. But the old adage is play 500 on the road and win a good 55% of your games at home, and you should win 90 games and make the playoffs. But in the end, you just want to win series here, and especially when you're playing what in theory is going to be a second division team. It looks like the Nats will be, but until you really see a a larger sample size, you're not going to really want to make any kind of proclamation. But the Mets went out and beat a second division club or a club on paper that's going to be second division and gave away a game today with some bad defense, so something a little bit to talk about there, but it still doesn't dampen what is a really interesting four days in the nation's capital, and that is the theme of our show, is you're just going to get me kind of giving you a state of the union here. We'll also get into the Apple TV thing. I know you guys are all complaining about it. I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but this show will be about first impressions. Now, Anybody who's been listening for a while, we have some basic principles that we follow here on the Talking Mets podcast. How we watch the games, our belief system in team building, belief system in trades and free agents. It's my belief system, but if you're listening, you have a pretty strong opinion. You may agree, you may disagree, but you want to hear it and you want to compare it. I always say it's like mental bubblegum. Now, coming to you four days into the regular season... Not exactly the kind of show where you could sit down and really hash out a lot of observations and make declarations that are, hey, this is the way things are going to be. But that's what we do here, and there'll probably be, as we go later into the season, or very quickly, some overreactions. It's possible that uh, I'm going to make statements now that uh, are complete overreactions, but 
if you have listened to this show for a while, you know that we look at the season in three stages. There's the third of it. That's the getting to know you stage. You're looking at about 50 games where we, we sit back and we kind of we let things marinate, develop. We'll give the manager the benefit of the doubt. I don't get too crazy about you know certain things. Obviously, today and the game and what went on today, which we'll get into, falls into that. Because there are some things that I think Buck was trying to learn about his team. The second third, the second 50 games as we get into the All-Star break and then the trade deadline is what does this team need? Can they fix it internally? That's when we get a little bit more critical. That's when we put things under the microscope. And do they need to go out and make a deal at the deadline to get what they need? Assuming that it's a team that's going to be in contention and not a team that's going to be, well, let's face it, a sell-off team or a team that's not contending where then you're looking at the the situation completely different. Don't think we're going to be in that case, but look, this is baseball. We never know. Then it's the third uh, segment of the season, and that's go get it done. You got all your pieces. You've, you've, you've learned about the team over 100 games. You need to go out there and make the adjustments and get it done, and, and that's when then you make your run and push towards the playoffs. So you all know we're in the getting-to-know-you phase, and in the first weekend of the season, the first four games, you're clearly getting to know just about everybody because you have a new manager, you've got new coaches, you've got new starting pitchers, you've got new members of the offense, three key members of the offense, you've got new bullpen members, so you're getting to know a whole bunch of guys, and that's the way it is. So where are we at? And you heard some of the clips on the way in. And Buck Showalter himself has called culture the chicken and the egg. And I laugh because it's an overused term all the time in the media. They like to preach culture. Culture is the team that's winning. The Astros won. Nobody questioned the culture until something happened that proved that maybe it wasn't all that it was. But the winning made it seem like, well, they're the model. They're the the, the culture. And I've always said that teams don't need to all like each other in order to have a good clubhouse chemistry or have a good culture. You're not there to be friends with everybody. Not everyone's going to get along. Not everybody's going to have the same political backgrounds. Not everyone's going to believe in the same things. That's why it gets me crazy when people get all angry when they find out personal things about athletes. Like, I don't want them on my team. Well, you don't have to have the 26 guys that meet all the criterias of, I want to have a beer with them. You want to have the right 26 guys that each fill their roles and come to the ballpark understand their roles, and are an environment where they feel that they're supported in order to achieve whatever the best version of themselves are. You've heard that terminology. What you saw this weekend, though, was the beginning of what, and again, I keep going back to that old book, The Winner Within, I'm a big Pat Riley guy, the whole little innocent climb. Not completely. It's not like this is a a team of young players coming up, struggling, learning how to take their beatings, and then coming together and improving. These are a lot of veterans or different guys who are in prime or late prime of their career that have come here to get a payday, but also to come here with the idea that they're going to be on a really fun team, successful team, and compete for a championship. I think that's all the guys you signed here. That's what they were pitched on. I don't think there's any doubt, even though we weren't in those meetings in our minds. So when you have just two days into the season, what was it, four guys get bean, two of which could have had serious, serious injuries without the C-flap that's on the side of their helmet, something that maybe everybody should start to think of. And in an era where there's 98-mile-an-hour fastballs, tons of pitchers being put onto big league ball clubs that quite simply don't know how to pitch right now, 
I think everybody should start to think about it. And I, I, I'm thinking about myself. It's uncomfortable. I never would want something in my face. Although I had, when we were young, I didn't have anything that was like a cage going across my face. Back then in Sandlot Ball, we didn't do things like that. I mean, we, we also didn't wear helmets when we rode bikes. So there was a lot of different things that went on back in the 80s and 90s when I was young. But I always thought of something in front of me would be annoying, even though I had something like a flap, you know, the double flap that came down. And I saw how Lindor had talked about maybe even taking it off. But I think after seeing what happened, even with a veteran like Steve Ciszek, it's something that a lot of guys just have to think about because you get hit in the chin or break a collarbone or got hit in the eye. Think of Tony Conigliario. I mean, that's could be career-ending. And I heard about the balls, and again, it looks like the MLB, they claim, is messing with the balls. Every April we hear about that. Remember a couple of years back, it was Noah Syndergaard talking about the ball felt like an ice cube in Philadelphia. You're dealing with some really raw, rainy, bad weather. Couldn't get any worse there. That's just baseball in April. And I laugh because as I'm watching opening day and I see like this date in Mets history scrolling across Twitter, all these great opening day moments are coming up on Twitter. And I'm saying, well, they started this season at this time in 1988 and 1990, whatever. And it was okay to get 162 games. I understand there's more rounds now. And I'm like, why do we make such a big deal about the lockout? Like, oh, they're not going to be able to get a regular, hopeful regular season in. But what you saw, I digress on that. What you saw was a team that off the bat went out there and and showed a unity and showed a togetherness that I understand there's a corny nature. And at the end of the year, if they lose 85 games, it's not going to matter because you heard about how much they liked each other last year. But maybe they were missing, not maybe, they definitely were missing that little component that when they really got and faced the abyss, they didn't really have necessarily that extra gear to go out and push through it. They certainly didn't have enough talent. And at times, I think there was uh, definitely a disconnect between the coaching staff, for sure, and the personnel on the field. The fact that their leader, their general, for lack of a better word, Buck Showalter, and his pitching coach, who, if you watched the games this weekend, were like tied at the hip in the dugout. I mean, Jeremy Hefner, if I didn't know any better, Jeremy Hefner might be trying to you know learn from the master himself to be a manager himself one day, charging out there, didn't want to hear excuses about, well, it's the ball, that, you know, it's not intentional. Basically, when you go out there and you commit an act that inflicts harm on someone else, intent or not, there's consequences. God forbid I'm driving a car and I hit someone from behind and I break the, you know, break their rear, their uh, their tail bumper. I, I didn't want to do that. There's consequences to that. And when you go up there and you essentially, not essentially, are going to end someone's career with the kind of pitches that were thrown. And Ciszek, a a veteran, sh- should know better, obviously. Maybe the younger pitchers, not so much. There's going to be consequences. It'll make them think twice now going forward that this is not a team that's just going to back down. If you don't think the rest of the league was not watching that, they were. And I think the Mets purposely wanted to show that they're not a team that's just going to sit back and be softies there or get pushed around. A team that in the past, at times, I felt and this was a theme for forever, would get hit and hit and hit and nothing would be done. It's always a criticism of, uh, I believe, going back to Terry Collins about how they would never do anything up until the, you know, blank in the jackpot game with uh, Utley and everything. It was always that kind of situation for the Mets to, uh, uh, to overcome. So you saw a team that's starting to come together. You heard the words of Chris Bassett. 
I'm going to be worried about Juan Soto. I've had to face Otani. I've had to face Trout. Like sometimes we live, and it's funny. I even see with Buck with the media after the game today when they were trying to pin him to the wall about his bullpen management. He's like, I'm not going to tell you who my closer is. I'm not going to tell you who's available and who's not. That's my strategy. And then he would challenge them, well, who would you come in with? Because sometimes it's easy to sit there and just say, well, you made the wrong decision. Well, how would you work the bullpen? Do you know who was available? Do you know the long-term strategy about why I went and did what I did? Because he's learning this team, too. He's trying to figure out the big picture. And, oh, by the way, he's got two, basically two guys to cut in the next 30 days. We're still kind of in pseudo-spring training when it comes to roster because they only going to have 28 men for another two, uh, uh, you know, 30 days. They got a lot of time, but you got to find out about guys sooner rather than later. If you're not going to do it the first series of the season when you're 3-0, and you're never going to do it. So the Mets are kind of evolving. They're learning each other. They're building that camaraderie. And that camaraderie is great. Now, if there's no execution and, and, and there's no focus on, on your role and, and, and maximizing whatever that is, whether it be your workout routine, whether it be – uh, data that you're looking to implement into your repertoire, preparation, whatever it is, then it doesn't matter that you like each other. But somehow I think on the Buck Showalter team, from through and through, whether you've heard former players that have played for him throughout the winter talk about it, even to now where you've heard current players say that Buck recognizes and does everything, rest assured, whatever went bad here today, he didn't call Pete Alonso out in the scrum because of, a ter- I think it was a bad throw to home plate. I don't, I, I, you know, like little push throws I never like. I don't like when pitchers do them. Anytime you try to lollipop something, bad things happen. Anytime you try to be careful, it's like you're trying not to drop a glass vase. You'll drop it because you're focused on dropping it. And then the throw to second, that's just, if you want to be a first baseman and not a DH, you got to make those plays. It's critically important. Because those are plays that turn games around, lose games, and games that are lost like that wind up losing playoff positions, and they certainly wind up losing divisions. So we know about that. Now, what did I see out of this team over the first four games? What were some of my observations? Well, first, let me throw out something here, and I mentioned it, and I mentioned it in passing in the offseason. Joey Cora, I know this is not the most important thing. Joey Cora must think that everybody's Ken Griffey Jr. and it's 1995 and it's the Kingdom because he's moving, Mar- you know, throwing Pete Alonso. Come on in. Uh, who else got thrown at at home? Was Mark Canna who got thrown at at home? Doesn't matter. There's an aggressiveness. I do not believe you will be discussing or sitting there watching a Mets game like you did countless times last year and wonder how is it possible that that guy didn't score from second. Because Joey Core is going to wave him in. You're probably going to have situations where you're like, oh, why did he do that? So can Joey wind up balancing out his penchant for waving him home, waving him home with score and situation and, and time and whatnot? I guess we'll see. But to me, aggressive base running, especially on a team where, in theory, there's enough offense where you don't have to cherish every base runner like it's uh, it, it seemed like last year. That's what you, that would do, they were doing. They cherished every base runner because like we may not got get another one of these again. I don't think this team will be like that. And you're forcing the opposition more times than not. And the Nats actually made, played some good D out there. I give them credit. They made some good relay throws. Made they showed some leather. Got a little lucky at times. Balls hit right at them. But the Nats, one thing I'll say, which I saw all weekend, play good defense. So the Mets lost a couple of runners at the plate. 
I thought Alonzo might have been safe. I know the replay said otherwise, but again, again, so Joey Cor is a big 180 difference from Gary DeSarcina. So we'll throw that out there, secondary. The Mets offense, who going into today was averaging over five runs a game, just like our friends on the calculator over at Baseball Musings indicated they would. And then I think after today's game, what does that bring? That brings you to, uh, what was it, 18 runs in four games. So you're looking at about four and a half runs a game. So I I said this is a team that if it scores four and a half, 4.8-ish runs per game, just like they did last September, they should win games. That magic number is five. You saw it again today. The Mets hit five runs a game. I'm going to make this statement. And maybe this is the first overreaction. Or maybe you're going to say, Mike, you were crazy. Their pitching is nowhere near as good as you thought that first series against a last-place club. Their bullpen's nowhere near as good as they performed in that four-game set against the last-place club. But I'll make this first statement. I see a team that if they can score those five runs and they can find a way to get those five runs, they're going to win some games. They're going to win more games than not, and they're going to be okay in the event that the— and remember, we said we made a pact a week ago. We're not going to sit here when DeGrom comes back. If they get another arm in that rotation with DeGrom coming back, because we're not going to count on him till we see him, that's even going to make them more dangerous when it comes to run prevention. Now, the good part about the offense and the five runs a game they didn't really hit the ball around the yard against the Nats. Now, whether that's talent and the kind of hitters they have, the cold. I mean, you heard the announcers, and this is not excuses. This is reasons. You probably shouldn't be playing baseball when it's cold, rainy, windy, in the 40-something degree weather. It's not that kind of sport. It's a summer sport. It's a spring sport. It's a sport that is meant to be played in good, moderately good weather conditions. You can play in a little rain and cold, but... You're on the other end of the spectrum here. Whatever the reason why I'm not getting into it, I don't care, you know, uh, about climate and all that stuff. Winters are lasting longer. Summers are lasting deeper into the fall. And fall is lasting to when it used to be winter. We we all know. We all live in New York. We're all in the Northeast. We all feel it. We don't need someone to lecture us why. We just, our bodies tell us. We're out there. We're experiencing it. We know. So maybe that's part of it. But this offense basically was able to you know get a run on a pass ball two out hit here walks galore uh nicely placed hit here going the other way McNeil Dinkin and Duncan Canna uh you know two out hit with Escobar then you got the bopper you know you get that one crooked number inning the thing we used to talk about all last year they can only get that when they have the opportunity can they seize it that crooked number inning they got it yesterday with Alonzo and they scored their five runs, and they win game one, they win game two, they win game three. Uh, today, they didn't do it. Today, they didn't capitalize on a couple other opportunities when they had a chance to take a 2-1 game and make it 3-1, 4-1, If they do it, perhaps the Nats lay down and die. Maybe Walter manages the bullpen a little bit differently. Be that as it may, the real question is, is this an offense that is going to be more like it was here on Sunday, where they leave runners on base and they're not quite opportunistic or are they more the offense that you saw the first three days that could find ways to win and score even when they're not hitting the ball really great or hitting a ton of home runs I I think they actually can I mean they they look like a team that's that's working the count better they look like a team that has better contact skills the McNeil weekend and he's not gonna hit 500 all year but it's so 
optimistic. It brings so much joy to me to see that because that's the guy the first half of 2019 that really I fell in love with. It wasn't so much the Daniel Murphy version in the second half, although that was cool too. The guy that hit like 350 and made the All-Star team. And you want to know what? Does it, if he sacrifices 10 or 12 home runs, I'll take it. Dink, dunk, here, there, always making contact, hitting the other way. You could go three for five, but it doesn't mean you have to have three line drives in the, in the box score. Pete Rose didn't hit 110-mile-an-hour uh, base hits every time up. Nobody remembers that. They didn't track that back then. We get so caught up in launch angle. We get so caught up in how hard people hit. And I understand there's a correlation between how hard the balls hit and success, but sometimes it's about contact placement going with the pitch. That's what baseball was built on. That's what it was built on. So there's a lot. you got to like Starling Marte out there. you got to like what you see, productive outs when he was making outs uh, during the series. Escobar seems like a guy who's got a live bat. Uh, going up and down the lineup, there really was nobody that, as you look. I mean, even McCann started a rally last night, even though his bat's not looking looking great. Brandon Nemo flying around the bases. We got to keep an eye on his neck because he got a cortisone shot. But that really made me happy to see that. Canna, you know, dunking and dimping and doing what he does. And even Travis Jankowski coming off the bench and stealing a couple bases. And you look at Buck, he's going to have to try to figure out because he's got a guy like J.D. and Dom Smith and Guillaume where he basically is going to have to figure out how can I get these guys in the lineup so they're not sitting 7, 8, 9, 10, 12 days because with a DH now, there's no guarantee a Guillaume or J.D. or Dom will get a pinch hit opportunity night in and night out. And uh, with Jankowski, you got to figure out what do I have here because in 30 days you might have to cut him. Is his defense, his speed, is he as a bench bat going to be worth it, especially considering you have still that clumsy, no real backup outfielder, because even though J.D. and Dom are outfielders, they're really not outfielders. They're just they're just baseball players who are putting the outfield in a glove. Let's put it to that way. So that's how I feel about the offense. I'm bullish. Five runs a game. If they could do that, doesn't have to be with them hitting a ton of home runs. It looks like this is an offense with some of the contact skills, and some of the execution we saw this weekend, that if they could continue to do that, they'll be in a really good place. Now, next, the starting pitching. Couldn't ask for more than that. Got a lot of egg on my face about Carlos Carrasco. I was already, I saw the home run by uh, Nelson Cruz, but here we go. First inning, Carrasco's here. He's the guy who give you five innings, three runs. You got what you, what you expected or what you could definitely live with with Carrasco. If Carrasco. If Carrasco has the kind of season where in six inning stints, he can give you number three starter or potentially nights where he looks like the top of the rotation guy he was in Cleveland four or five years ago. Remember, that's why I'm not bullish on him. It's been five years almost since he's been good. It's a long time. I mean, what, 26 starts in three or four years? That's not a lot. Bassett, you knew what you were getting. We talked all winter when we were looking at the Oakland pitchers that he might be the best of the three. They all look like they were pretty good, these guys. Manaya goes out to San Diego and almost pitches a no-hitter. Uh, Bassett goes out there, and you got you heard it coming in. You got to love that confidence, that intensity, the intensity that a Scherzer and a Bassett, just by even watching them in the dugout last night, are the kind of win at all costs intensity, perfection, attention to detail, desire to be great that guys like that bring to the club. That's only going to rub off on everybody else. Those are the kind of guys that that's leadership. Someone clapping, rah, 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 you know, being kind of the the court jester. Sometimes, you know, to be like the guy who's cheering the fans on and going, yeah, 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 rallying people. Uh, that's all fine and dandy. 
but the real leaders are the guys who lead at times with their example, with their intensity, how they go about their craft and, and what have you. And the real thing that we learned or what we saw is that Mets might have themselves someone better than just a six or seven option on the depth charts in Tyler McGill. Now, I need to see a lot more McGill because he's really a two-pitch pitcher who has not yet incorporated really a third pitch. Fastball, change-up, slider, I guess is what we would say. And those guys, when they're off and they're not locating, they could get hit really hard. But if there was a guy that was going to either replace Carrasco or Walker before the year is out, or better yet, let's hope everybody performs as good or better than what we expect, could hold the fort down in a, in a DeGromless rotation, not just hold the fort down, make you feel like, hey, if DeGrom never comes back, that's a bad thing because you want to have that second ace. But it's not like the Mets' rotation's hopeless without DeGrom. McGill might be, be that guy. Showed a lot last year. He had his good stretch. He had his bad stretch. But as he hit that wall, and he, was, he wasn't expected to be in the big leagues last year, and even late in the year against the Yankees, the Yankees are playing you know, in the postseason. They're, they're basically in it. It's not like that was a throwaway series. In a subway series game, he pitched pretty well. So to me, there was nothing but positives. And I think McGill was the biggest positive this week. And I think McGill could potentially be somebody that the debate and the argument is, hey, DeGrom comes back, does he deserve to be sent down? I wouldn't want to see him come out of the bullpen. That's a guy you'd want to keep stretched out. And then there might be debate if Walker or Carrasco really don't pitch well. The debate is, why are you holding these guys? I know they have contracts and putting McGill down. That could be a debate and a conversation we can have. So there's another first impression. You tell me later in the year if that's something that I'm crazy to be saying right now here on April 10th. And then the final thing, the final piece of the weekend is we what we all like to talk about, what always makes for great radio, is the bullpen. And the bullpen, which, to me, I thought last year the defense and the positioning at times contributed to what was a good, was a good bullpen, but a bullpen that I didn't think was as good as the numbers indicated. If you are going to get good Seth Lugo and good Edwin Diaz the whole season, and Seth Lugo, who was more like the 2019 Seth Lugo than the guy last year that came back from an injury, you have yourself six really good lockdown outs. Yeah, they're going to have their hiccups, and Diaz is going to have that game that he drives you crazy. It's going to happen. Diaz is going to have two to three, maybe four nights, just like pretty much every other closer, by the way, with the exception of Mariano Rivera in the history of baseball, where he drives you crazy, where he doesn't have it, he hits a batter, walks somebody, or throws a meatball that they are waiting for to hit a home run and crush you. You just hope it doesn't happen too often, and you hope it doesn't spiral like it did in 2019. And it may, you know, those two or three nights might happen in the course of a week and a half to two weeks, like last year against the Pirates. So you just have to accept that. But with those two guys on, and Buck even talked about how important Lugo is to this bullpen, you're in, basically you're asking your starters now. If your starters could give you the six kind of innings that your Bassett gave you, that Carrasco gave you, that Scherzer without his best stuff, there it is, Scherzer without his best stuff gives you, then you're really looking on a normal night where everybody's available. You're looking for three outs from a combination of Shreve and May and Adovino and Jolie Rodriguez. And oh, by the way, this sleeper guy that the Mets acquired years ago for Lucas Duda from the Tampa Bay Rays, and Drew Smith, who I think could be really big. Because 
ultimately the real Achilles heel of this Mets bullpen, if everybody pitches like you think, especially the Lugo-Diaz contingent in the eighth and the ninth, is as you get later in the season and you need those two guys, can they give you four out of five days down the stretch? Because that was something that Lugo couldn't do in 2019. And that is something that they've been reluctant to do with Diaz at times. So really you're looking at, is Lugo only good for two out of five days or three out of five days where he pitches two, he's off, and then you get that third day, but you're afraid to push him back-to-back a second time after only one day off? Same thing for Diaz. Because if they can't, and I'm not criticizing Buck. He talked about it in the post-game show today. They're not about to do three out of four days as they build up relievers in a truncated spring training post-lockout while he's trying to figure out what else he has in this bullpen because you can't, as you know, you can't just throw guys into high-leverage situations at some point when they've never been in it. You have to learn about what you have. Let Buck kind of work this out. If there is a guy that I trust managing a bullpen, it's this guy. He's been around a long time. He's had a lot of bullpens. Uh, I'm going to sit back and let him, I'm going to give him the benefit of the doubt. Is is what he did today with, with uh, Trevor Williams in the eighth inning ideal, what I'd like to see when a game is on the line? No. I think Trevor Williams is a long reliever, maybe even a starter. But he was looking to see what he got, and he was trying to use who he had available, who was rested, so he doesn't have to go this early in the season to the three and four days with a Lugo and what have you. Because if, in as things develop, as they build up these relievers, if they can't get in those big stretches when they need them, when they're trying to win tight games, because losing games like you lose today, they, they just kill our teams. You work so hard. Losing games in the eighth or ninth inning are such downers. And I always feel like, even though baseball, you good teams wipe them off and you go out and you start 0-0 the next day, and there really should be, in theory, no carryover effect. I think they do. I think they do. And they create tension and bad energy and negative environments. And, and it's almost like you do all this work. You're building up. It's like you're building something in your backyard. You do all this work. And right when you're putting, laying the last few bricks, you do something to knock everything over. And you look and go, oh, I got to start over from scratch. It's so demoralizing. So the, the question is, when those guys are not available in those you know, days four and five, those two out of five days where they're probably not going to be available most periods of the season. Can Trevor May and Adavino and Jole Rodriguez uh, can and, and Drew Smith, who I think is going to be a big part of that, big part of that, can they hold the fort down and close out games like we saw today? Because if they can't, then you're going to have to be scoring some runs those games when Lugo and, and Diaz are not available or pushing your starters a little deeper which is more likely as Scherzer builds up and maybe even Bassett. Not so sure about DeGrom and Carrasco and, to a certain degree, uh, Walker. Walker, I think, maybe, but the other two guys, Carrasco and DeGrom, I don't think you'll see pitching deep into games, uh, at least in the regular season. I don't think you'll see Carrasco pitch deep into games at all, but that's a whole other story. So, uh, you know, that's where we're at. I'm not going to get crazy about the bullpen management here. Uh, Buck is just absolutely trying to figure out what he's got. He basically told you that in the post game. Nothing to get crazy about. We can't start dissecting Bucks bullpen management during an, not only the getting to know you phase, which is basically the first four games. We're in the getting to know the getting to know you phase. The first four games of the season. So it was an overall great weekend in the nation's capital. Bad weather, good offense, promising bullpen results. 
uh, a team that's was challenged and is already starting to bond together over an incident and begin that innocent climb. You can't ask for more than that. And you know when you're really talking like this and 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 trying to you know basically when you're saying hey you're gonna have to cut a couple of guys from this 28 man roster and you may lose them because the Mets don't have a lot of options. Like if, it could be Sean Reed Foley they lose. It could be Trevor Williams. Jankowski, I'm not sure what his contract looks like and his uh, options here. It looks like he doesn't have any based on what I see. So uh, you're going to see Buck mix and match. Now they go down up, you know, to Philly to finish the road trip. They're 3-1 and one on the road trip. If they could take two in Philly, they finish a 5-2 and two early season road trip. Not bad. And as I told you, I think all games in the NL East are going to be tough. I know the Nats are bad, but they seem to have some interesting arms in that rotation. And they got enough offense where, as you saw in the eighth inning, once you get to that crew, Soto, that part of the lineup, if you have a speed bump against the Robles of the world or the Strange Gordons or the Lane Thomases, whoever, keep going through that, you've got a couple of guys that can hurt you. Keeper Uriz, uh, the catcher, another guy. So there's not going to be... Look at what Miami's doing out in San Francisco this weekend. They're playing tight, tough games. There's not going to be easy games. In this division. Buck said it. You heard the clip last year. So buckle up. You're going to have a lot more nights like you had today, this afternoon, than easy laughers. And in this game, just like in the NBA with a three-point shot, in a game where everybody could kind of hit a home run in the lineup, even a 3-4 on lead in the ninth inning, a walk, a bloop, a blast, and you know. So anyway, let's take a quick break. We're not going to have an extremely long show today, but... I wanted to take a a quick break and address the whole streaming situation, the Apple TV Plus games. I see a lot of complaints. I'm going to try to offer you some perspective and balance it out because I don't think it's really a big deal. I understand there's some complaints, especially from a different generation of fans, but uh, we'll see. All right, let's take a quick break. We'll be back with more right after this. Well, you know, I think it's an interesting low-stakes experiment for them to kind of dip their toe in the waters of, of live sports, right? You know, there's not necessarily a huge national audience for non-playoff games, uh, especially uh, for Friday night games. So they can go off here and, and try something, see what works, try some perhaps new tech features in the broadcast and see what happens. Ed, I mean, same question, which is, is this the right fit for Apple's existing audience or the audience that they're trying to grow right now, because baseball itself has faced viewership declines. They're trying to figure out, you know, what, what tweaks to make to, to make baseball itself more watchable. Um, and this is a little bit of a risk for them, because if they don't have a huge audience, they have to contend with their diminished popularity. I think you hit the nail on the head right there. This is a bigger risk for the MLB than it is for Apple. I mean, Apple has all the money in the world. Uh, And as Tim pointed out, they can sort of dip their toes in the water of this. The MLB is looking for younger viewers, right? So they figure getting on Mm. streaming is a way to do that. Um, And and for Apple, you know, their audiences, it's still growing. You know, it's really their services businesses that this would ultimately feed into. I thought it was actually smart that this is an exclusives deal where, you know, it's you can't watch it necessarily on, on broadcast. And so I think what's interesting is that, it's getting harder for sports fans like me to be able to find out where they can watch it because you have to watch some of it Definitely. on Apple, some of it on Amazon, some of it on Peacock, etc. So there's sort of this sort of new fracturing that's happened in the sports market.
All right, we're back. So you heard some pundits on CNBC talk about the Apple TV deal, and it's the usual narrative. Ah, MLB's looking for younger fans, and they're looking to get younger, and blah, blah, blah. And I'm going to take a different approach here. Certainly, I personally think for the streaming services, the MLB situation is as important for them. Before I get even into the whole game on Friday, I just want to give you kind of an outline of how I see this. And I'm not going to get deep into business here, by the way. I'm not going to get into you know deep level of the strategic uh, nature of the partnership and the dollars in advertising situations. We all know there's a lot of dollars being exchanged here. There's three streaming services, Peacock, Apple, Amazon. They're trying to get into this whole baseball game rights. We saw it on Facebook Live last year. And at the end, they want people to sign up for their services. There's some really good content on Apple TV+. Plus. You know how I got onto Apple TV+, Plus and why I'm a subscriber? I got an iPhone a year ago, a new iPhone. It came free with the iPhone. Started watching some stuff with my wife on Apple TV. Liked it. I like Netflix better. But Apple TV has some stuff that we like. They bundled it with my music and my storage plan at the beginning of the year. And now I get it as part of, uh, I think it's $14.99 a month or $13.99 a month for all three. So I get my music, which I already is on. The Apple TV, which I was getting for free, now I'm paying for all together. So I was already there. I've already got an Amazon Prime subscription, so I'm on Amazon. I had Peacock temporarily because I, I just started watching Yellowstone, which is a great show. If you're not watching Yellowstone, watch it. Great show. You know, for years, I know that people are going to roll their eyes. I don't want to hear about Mike's television choices. But, hey, listen, we have a relationship. Sometimes I like to peel the curtain to who I am, right? So I get the Peacock temporarily to finish because I had to catch up on on Yellowstone, and that's why I got Peacock. And then I canceled it. But now if they're going to start putting baseball on it, I might have to get it. We're heading towards an a la carte world when it comes to viewing. I think you all know that. Anybody who's at least – got Altice, which used to be Cablevision here in New York. I'm paying, and I think I got the gold package, and I've got the on-demands, and I have the phone and the internet. So I have all the, and I have the enhanced internet, because if you get, don't get the enhanced internet, they throttle you, and how can you do all this work from home and these shows like we do? How can you do that when you're getting throttled at peak hours? And I'm paying like 336 bucks a month for all that together. It's a ton of money, more than I ever really want to pay. I've actually thought about cutting it back. I'm trying to figure out how to cut it back without losing the sports channels. I like watching the Knicks. In the end, uh, I think I watch more streaming than I do shows on anything that's on cable. But I want my ESPN, just when the Mets or the Knicks are on ESPN, you want your TNT for my basketball, and I want my S&Y. And, uh, you know, I won't mind yes or anything because the Yankees, you know, you want to peek in on that. But that's why I keep the cable. I would probably cut the cable way down. And just keep the internet and the phone and, and all that other stuff. And then you go and you sign up for all these different streaming services. You got Hulu, you've got Peacock, you got all that. It's actually adding up to quite a bit. So I get the complaint from everybody out there. What I'm telling you is this is where it's going. And in the end, the hope is that you could cobble together a better viewing experience from all these streaming services instead of the one stop shop, which is cable, which is a monopoly, which they got you by the you know want. And they're using baseball as a way to introduce you to that. And I'm sure because the metrics state that there are younger people on these services, baseball's saying we got to get our product in front of them. Now, there was, I think it was Anthony DeComo had said the other day on Twitter that it was the highest rated opening day for the Mets on SNY, and it was everybody 55 and under. I don't know how they figured that out. I'm assuming 
they're basing it on whatever. They don't need the Nielsen books like the old days. I remember, I think I got a Nielsen book back in the 90s. They wanted you to fill out. I threw the thing out. I never filled it out. I'm assuming now with streaming and even with the way they could, there's no privacy, that they could figure out who owns and who pays the cable bill. They got your age. I'm pretty sure when you sign up for any cable, they're going to ask for your birthday. So they know your age, and they're trying to figure out who's watching what, and that's how they figure out it's 55 and under. So you really don't have that generation where I think if you're 55 and under, for the most part, you should be able to handle the Internet because you've now had – the Internet came around in the mid-'90s. So anybody who's 55 was in their 20s when the Internet came out, they should be able to manage it. Now, north of that, different story – but all truthful is those guys might be still listening to stuff on the radio. And honestly, you got to evolve. We'll be left behind. I'm sorry. And I know there are people, as you retire and you're on a fixed income, these are – unfortunately, nothing is a right anymore. There's no free. Nothing's a right. There's no right to watch baseball. You have to budget and you have to pay for it because if you're going to have the industry that you have and the salaries that you have and the amenities that you have and all these fancy apps that you have – these things all cost money and they don't cost a couple of bucks. So you gotta pay you gotta pay for them and they pay for them through advertisers and you pay them through these innovative type of ways of, of bringing the games to the fans. So anybody who's complaining about where this is going, you gotta get over it. The days of you got free TV, you got you got your cable, you got your your radio. You know what's free? The radio. And even depending on where you are in New York with WOR, it isn't free because you can't get the signal. So you gotta use the MLB.com app which is actually pretty good with listening to the radio, a little behind. And even the streaming service is probably a little bit behind. So that's the whole thing. If you're in the gambling world, I know that – because I use a Slingbox. I used to use it – well, I still will use it because it's a little bit faster. But I have a Slingbox in my, in my studio here in my office, and I usually watch the game on my iPad, and I'll watch something with my wife and I'll have the game on silent so that I could kind of – you know, you, baseball's a grind. I mean, it's a, it'll kill your relationship and your family life if you let it. So – Anyway, that's what I was doing on Friday. I had the sound down, had the Apple TV on the iPad, and I was watching some stuff with my wife, and I had my eye on the game. It's actually baseball, unlike the NBA, unlike the NFL. You could actually engage in a movie or a, a series or a show and not really miss anything on the screen. I guess that's the problem with the game and the length of the game and the downtime in between because all you're missing is the conversation. And there, obviously, you want to have that context and the dialogue and, and kind of little nuances, but for the most part, you could pick that stuff up and Twitter will clue you in if there's something. So you could do a little bit of that. So I'll be truthful. I did not listen to much of the announcers. I actually picked up the announcers sometime seventh or eighth inning. So you have Melanie Newman, Chris Young, the former big leaguer, played for the Mets, Hannah Kaiser, and they had a field reporter named Brooke Fletcher. So you you have the modern day media. They want to have their their female influence, you know what it's all about. Look at the look at the. How can I say this? Look at the profile of who's announcing on Apple. They're checking all the PR boxes. So it is what it is. I'm not going to get crazy. If they're good and they know how to do their job, then I don't have a problem with it. The problem is, is that I'm listening to a lot of you guys, and I only heard them a little bit. My expectations on a national broadcast, whether it be this collection or Facebook uh, collection. White guy, woman, African American, whatever. My when I'm not getting my hometown announcers, there's going to be nuance lost because they're not really embedded in the team day in and day out. Any sport, 
when you are embedded in that sport day in and day out, you have an inherent advantage about announcing and giving a good uh, a performance to the, the viewer or the listener because you know the nuance of the team. Nobody could parachute in regardless of the research they do and provide you that. You want to know how I know that that? Even Hannah Kaiser, who is one of the announcers, she writes, she tweets, Tonight I'll help broadcast the Mets Nationals game on Apple TV+. Plus. The first time I've ever done anything at all like that, which is cool. When I told my parents about it, her mom, who's a diehard Mets fan, said, Oh, I hate when it's not Gary, Keith, and Ron. That's the woman's mother. Because she wants familiarity. It's like when you go to a, your favorite restaurant. You don't want to figure out what the menu... You know, there could always be specials and everything, but you want the core menu because you go in there for what you expect. You want to have the same experience. Same thing with baseball. So anybody who announces off the bat, regardless of gender, race, whatever, is going to have a hard time. I wasn't overly impressed with them when I listened to them, but I only listened to them for an inning or two. I heard you guys say that typical of a national broadcast, there is big stuff going on in the game, and instead of letting the game, because nobody trusts that the game is enough, they're doing all sorts of uh, interviews and stats flying across the screen. That's as much the nature of media today and baseball today as anything. The problem with baseball, and Apple TV might actually be a good thing for baseball, and I'll tell you that in a minute. The problem with baseball is, and I've said this a thousand times, so I'll say it a thousand and one, it likes to go out and date new people because it doesn't feel confident in itself. Instead of just saying, this is who I am, this is what I'm good at, this is what I'm not so good at, but here's why I'm still a good experience, I'm a good person to date, they try to figure out what the other person wants, and it makes them even look worse, and in the end, they don't get where they want to get. So they go to the... Build this game up, and they're like, well, what do young people want? They, you know, marketing people sit in a room. What do young people want? Hmm. Well, check the stats across the screen, which nobody knows how they come up with the stats about the probabilities. Let's have a lot of stuff flying across the scre- screen graphics. They don't like downtime, young people, because they're ADD generation. So let's always buzz them with different things so they don't really have to watch the game. They can watch all the stuff around them. Well, well guess what? Ultimately, the core of why they're there is to watch a baseball game. And if you don't give them a baseball game, they're never going to love baseball. I don't need to go to Apple TV Plus to watch Mets Nationals to see a probability on the bottom of the screen. I could go somewhere else for math. It's simple as that. And I think if you, and this is where Apple TV might help. I went to Apple TV the day after on Saturday. I noticed they have all these This Week in Baseballs you can watch. Not every single one, but a lot. I was watching one from 1987. I was watching another one from, oh, I think it was, oh, I can't remember, maybe 88. Really cool, you know, that old school, you got to see some highlights, get to see what they were talking about. So go to Apple TV Plus if you have a subscription. This Week in Baseball's on there. You can watch some old This Week in Baseball's over the span of 15 years worth. Not every single one, but some key ones, and I'm sure they'll add more. They have great games that you could go back and watch. They have, it looks like it's from MLB Network, some great moments where they have a a 30-minute show on the Giants-Braves race of 1993. Something like that. Uh, I'm sure they'll do others. I'm sure they're getting all that content from MLB Network. So hopefully bringing that to Apple TV, that's how you become baseball fans. You start to say, hey, that's pretty cool. That race between the Braves and Giants, I'm a, I think I like the Giants. Maybe I'll start looking at the Giants. This game is pretty cool. This game has, has had good moments. It's not just about 
playing catch and maybe a home run breaks out once in a while. I don't need to have everything zapping across the screen. I don't need to change the rules so uh, it looks like a arena baseball after the ninth inning. So I think it's important for guys like us, and most of you think like me that are on this, that listen to this program, we have to embrace change. Maybe there are certain things we have to let go. Craig Council talked about it uh, in spring training, about how the game has evolved, and maybe that's where we have to relent on certain things like ghost runners and pitchers not hitting anymore and maybe baseballs that travel a little further. Maybe we have to relent on that because like every other sport has evolved, baseball will too. Maybe we have to evolve where it won't be National League and American League at some point. Maybe they're going to have different divisions that are more aligned with East Coast and West Coast. So you could have that geography in, in that same thing and everybody playing everybody else like the NBA and the NHL. We have to accept the fact that they're going to be on different mediums and those mediums cost money and if you really want to watch the sport, you have to invest. If you don't want to invest, you're going to watch 90% of the games anyway. I mean, will there be a day the World Series is on Apple TV Plus? I mean, I could see it, but I mean, you heard what they said. Regular season games are not going to draw a ton on national TV. You could probably put American Idol on and get a rerun, get more than a, a regular season baseball game. That's just reality. When we had 2, 4, 5, 7, 9, 11, 13, people were forced, unless you wanted to watch PBS, they were forced to watch a baseball game who probably didn't really want to watch, so you'd get 30 million viewers. You're not getting that anymore. There's too many options. There's too many things to do. So I think there's a middle ground. Yeah, it's silly what's going on, and the announcing was silly. And unfortunately, we're in a world where sometimes a box you check is more important than the performance you do. But announcing a baseball game is hard. Guys, you could put me on there. I'm a radio guy. I don't think I can announce worth spit. I try. You'd probably be criticizing me. So give them credit. And they're all going on there trying to do the best they can do. And they're also trying to, their bosses are basically telling them, this is what we want because we're trying to meet the need of a certain demographic. Until baseball, baseball could expand to all these different streaming services. Be who you are. You know what? Seeing them put this week in baseball on Apple TV, that's being who you are. Putting the greatest games and the epic moments on Apple TV, that's who you are. Don't hide it. Be who you are. The game is chess. If you don't appreciate, like today, I'm sure you were like me. You're trying to figure out what's Buck Showalter doing? Why did, why did he leave Chase and Shreven for another inning? Why did he bring in Trevor Williams? Oh, Juan Soto's four batters away. How do they handle Jolie's Rodriguez? Like, you know, do you bunt here when Thomas Nito's? Like, that's, it's a thinking game. It's not a raw emotions, high octane, Tony Hawk. You know, skateboard with a you know a 360 or a wipeout on a surfer, or it's not Nintendo Wii or whatever. I don't know who, but they use today. That's not what it is. It's a thinking man's game, a thinking person's game. I won't say man because you get in trouble. Thinking person's game. You know why I love Stratomatic Baseball? Not because there's great graphics on the screen, because they stink the graphics on the computer game. It's because of the strategy. It's like playing chess. So I think both sides need to kind of step back and just chill. It's part of the game. You know, the stupid uniforms, the third, you know, color uniforms that like the NBA has done. I know the NHL's done. It's going to be part of the game. They're trying to make money. Now Nationals fans are going to walk around with these pink cherry blossom jerseys. I, I don't think they were really that great, but they'll probably sell. And the Mets will do some at some point and we'll hate them. 
And uh, I can't wait till the Yankees do it because the pinstripes are such great tradition. We'll see how those guys come out. All right. That's my take on Apple TV+. Plus. It's not all bad. Check out, like, if you have the chance, if you, and I understand, I, I will leave you with this. I understand income is something that not everybody could just throw $14.99 a month away. I understand, believe me, or whatever costs, believe me, I'm not suggesting that. I'm very sympathetic to the fact that in order to continue to be a fan of this game, you have to invest more of your income. And that stinks because your food's going up, your gas is going up, your expenses are going up, you have children believe me, you'll never get judgment from me if you don't invest in it. But we can't hold everybody else back because of that. And I don't think everything about Apple TV is going to be bad. I hope that the fact that they're really trying to put an all-encompassing MLB center there is good. And maybe Amazon will do it with their streaming, and who knows what Peacock's going to do. But I've used all three services. There's some other good things on there, some other good programs on there, some other good series on there. Check it out. I love Bosch on Amazon. Bosch is another one. One day when they're, when they're in the middle of the thing, I'll give you some of the series that I like. And I think other people have given me stuff that they've enjoyed watching and whatnot. All right, let's take a quick break. Wrap up. You're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. We'll be back with more right after this. The Talking Mets podcast is available on many outlets, but the most popular is Apple Podcast. Hi, I'm Mike Silva, the host of the Talking Mets podcast, and I encourage you to leave a review about the program on Apple. Just rate it one to five stars, hopefully a five because why wouldn't you? And then if you have time, leave a review. It helps the podcast continue to grow and encourages others to take a listen. You can also email me at MikeSilva at TalkingMetsPodcast.com. No G, TalkingMetsPodcast.com. Hope to hear from you soon. And enjoy the rest of the show. All right, we're back. Final thoughts, Talking Mets podcast. So what's next? Um, We're back to the weekly Sunday shows. Um, I know some people have always wanted me to do something midweek. And potentially, here's how we'll do it as the regular season has transpired. If there are days off midweek and the Mets are heading into a big series or just came out of a big series, I think I'm going to do a short kind of come-to-you type of show. But I'd like to keep to the end of the week Sunday show, I think recapping and having an all-encompassing hour works best. Plus, everybody likes to parse the thing out throughout the week, and hopefully it doesn't go that stale. I think a show like this, it doesn't stay very relevant very long because there's a game tomorrow. But anyway, you know that. So we're we're back on that. We got three shows this week. That was the midweek one for the opening day. I don't think I could do that every week, but I'm certainly, and here's the promise I'll make you, certainly going to come to you when it's relevant. I'm certainly going to give you content. I want to give you enough content where I keep you wanting more and not feeling saturated, and I don't want it to be competitive. Competitive. Excuse me. Repetitive type of thing. I already got our good friend Senator Clay Davis over there on Twitter making a bingo card with my sayings there. So if I come to you more, that bingo card, you might fill it up all the time. Actually, I saw him fill one up recently. If you go to at Mike Silva Media, I think I retweeted. He's got like a bingo card with all my little sayings like, you know, I wasn't an athlete, but, you know, and my love for Brandon Nimmo, J.D. Davis, you know, trashing Dom, you know, the whole thing, you know, Terry Collins. It was an interesting bingo card. He's supposedly coming up with an updated one. So good old senator, if you have time, come up with an updated one. I'd love to see it. Even my wife got a kick out of that one. Can't, uh... Can't go wrong when you can, if you can laugh at yourself, it's always a good thing, right? That's the way I look at it. So anyway, hope everyone enjoyed today's edition, our first regular season edition of the Talking Mets podcast. Many more to go. The journey has become. Will these first impressions mean anything? Who knows? 
but I'm sure you'll catalog it, and if I'm wrong, I'll hear about it. If I'm right, I probably won't, but although I already saw some people tweeting at me, hey, Joey Cora, like you said, you've done some research. He's, he's a wave him home. Uh, you go on the blogosphere, the pirate blogosphere had criticized him for that, so I knew that. So anyway, I want to thank everybody for tuning in to this edition of the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at thetalkingmetspodcast.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you get the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If you want to interact with me, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. No G, Mike Silva at talkingmetspodcast.com. And I want to thank the good folks over at Fansided and risingapple.com. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll be back with another Talking Mets podcast next week. Till then, take care, everybody. Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies, we keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success.